Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the concept of an ideal client avatar, or ICA, and how it can work for you, including a few adaptations I've made to the concept, how to create one, and how your imposter syndrome can actually be a superpower when it comes to getting to know your ICAs. The ideal client avatar, or ICA, is something you'll hear talked about a lot in the marketing world. The principle is that marketing is way more effective if you create all of your content, your blog posts, podcasts, text on your uh, website, social media content and advertising as if you're speaking to one individual. So in order to create marketing that really speaks to people, you need to get to know that individual really, really well. You need to know what they like, what they dislike, what they do with their time, and crucially, what they need and what barriers they face in getting what they need. This concept makes a huge amount of sense. When we imagine that we're speaking to a real person, we write way more empathically, we're more likely to create products and services that meet their actual needs, rather than just making stuff that we like, and we're more likely to put our content and our adverts in the right places for them to actually come across us and ever find what we're doing. But many health professionals, and I include myself in this, resist the ideal of the ICA for a few really good reasons. Firstly, we often really don't want people to need us, so the concept of an ideal client just feels a little bit wrong and a bit uncomfortable. Secondly, the people that we help can be extremely diverse and we want to respect and welcome that. So for example, if you're a specialist in bipolar, um, like Alice, one of my clients in the membership is, then you know she doesn't care whether her clients are women or men. She wants to appeal to everybody who has that particular difficulty and would benefit from her help. And that's really understandable. So we'll tackle that a bit later. And thirdly, we want to sound professional in our content. So sometimes people are a little bit resistant to the idea of using the language of their clients. And actually, I'll deal with that right now, because I don't think there's a way around that. Um, And I don't think that we should be looking for a way around that. I think we need to meet people where they're at, Um, both clinically and in our marketing. So I'm a really big advocate for learning how your clients speak and using that as your starting position. It may be that part of work with you, part of therapy with you or part of your intervention is to gradually change that language um, because it may be that the way that your clients talk about their difficulties is part of the problem. But I think you have to be realistic and you have to be humble and meet people where they're at in certainly in marketing and I also think clinically. Okay, so how the ICA can work for you. So for all of the reasons I've just given, the idea of the ICA can seem a little bit unsuitable for psychologists and therapists. And that's certainly where I was when I first launched my hypnobirthing workshops a couple of years ago and I came across the idea for the first time. However, what I found is that it really is much easier to create content, write the text for your website and create offers that people actually want when you know your ICA and you're just talking to one person. 
So I decided to try and find a way of adapting it. So I felt I was still serving people ethically and in the way that I wanted to while using the power of the ICA. So I'm going to talk you now through the adaptations to the ICA method that I've made and that could be helpful for you too. So firstly, I have at least five different ICAs reflecting as much diversity as possible. Sometimes I'll have more than that depending on what it is that I'm trying to market or trying to develop. Secondly, I have different ICAs for each of my products and services. For example, the ICAs that I've created for my self-pay therapy services are different to the ICAs for my low-cost therapy programme. That's essential, as the people um, in both of those categories are likely to respond to different messages, and I'm likely to find them in different places. So, for example, most of my self-pay clients come through Psychology Today. So I would use my self-pay ICAs to write my Psychology Today profile, whereas most of my low-cost therapy programme referrals come through GPs. So when I'm writing the letters, the packs I send out to GPs, I use those ICAs. So I create content for only one ICA at a time, but I make sure that I spread my time between the ICAs. So that works to promote diversity. And that works because my ICAs for one product and service will likely have a lot in common. So it can be really simple, like I might keep the same text but have images that reflect all five of the different ICAs to try and promote diversity that way. But sometimes different ICAs will require completely different messaging altogether. But that's not always the case and more often than not it isn't. And once you know your ICAs really well, you can start to adapt things for each of them really quite naturally. And finally, I use my skills as a psychologist to gain a deeper understanding of my ICA. And in my head, I think of it as co-creation rather than market research. I think that is quite a big distinction. So developing ICAs, if done the right way, can make sure that you co-create with the people that you're trying to serve so that you can make the most positive difference to their lives. And I think that's something that all of us listening to this, all psychologists and therapists, were always aiming to do. Now, I have been on trainings where they've told me that I need to know what colour underpants my ICA wears. Personally, I think that level of detail can be helpful if it helps you to visualise the person better so that you can talk to them authentically. But to be honest, I actually have conversations with my ICAs as often as I possibly can. It's a big part of my strategy. And I find that as a result... I can speak to them authentically without needing to know the colour of their underwear. <laughs> so you can try and build a picture of every possible detail about your ICA and you'll find loads of cheat sheets and marketing stuff that tells you that you need to know like the colour of their iPhone, um, what car they drive, what tyres are on it. Uh, but to be honest, I don't bother. Um, I just focus on a few key areas. and I'm going to talk you through those key areas now and then I'm going to suggest some ways that you can find out what you need to know. So the first key area is what do they care about? When things are hard, what is it that motivates them to keep going? What do they want to stand for in their life? What are their values? 
Yes, it's deep stuff, but actually you can often see it in behaviour, even if you can't see it in words. So if you're struggling to get um, an ICA's opinion about their values, have a look at what they do, what they spend their money on, what they spend their time on. Because often you can see people's values and behaviour, even if you can't access it verbally. Secondly, what do they worry about? What are the problems that they're facing? What are their hopes and what are their dreams for the future? This is where it's really helpful if you've got a deep relationship with um, somebody that fits the profile of your ICA so that you can really unpack all of that stuff. Thirdly, how do they talk about their values, worries, problems and hopes? What specific language do they use? Number four, What do they already do to try and help themselves? What barriers do they face and what are the problems with the current solutions they have access to? Number five, what media do they consume? What influences them? Is it podcasts, social media, publications, Netflix shows? Where are they getting their news from? This is really crucial because if you don't know what influences them, then if you want to take this idea big and reach a lot of them, you don't know where to put that energy. Um, It's also really important because if you consume a lot of the same stuff that they consume, it's going to educate you about the kind of words and messages that are likely to resonate with them. Number six, where do they go? Where can you find them? This might be online spaces, networking, through GPs. Basically, you're asking yourself, where do groups of people like this hang out together? Details like what type of mobile phone they use and what car they drive, they might help you to answer some of those questions. And they might be really relevant if you're, say, considering providing free online therapy and you need to know whether your ICA is comfortable using Zoom on a phone. In that case, what type of phone they use would come under what do they already do and the barriers they might face to accessing existing solutions. So don't get tied up in spending hours on creating levels of detail that are just fantasy. You probably don't have time. But you'll know when you realise what your project is, then you'll realise what uh, you're likely to need to know about your ICA in order to serve them most effectively. So one question that most people ask me when I start talking about how important it is to get to know your ICA is, well, how on earth do I get to meet them? And I've got a few suggestions for you here. So firstly, some of your ICAs will probably be your existing clients. So don't be afraid to have conversations with your existing clients about something new that you're developing or improvements that you're thinking about making to your therapy services. In my experience, clients feel very respected um, when I ask those questions. It feels like they're co-creating with me and it feels very positive in the therapeutic relationship. Of course, there are times when it's not possible or it's not sensible, um, but use your clinical judgment on that one um, and have those conversations when it's at all possible if your clients might be your ICA because they can give you really valuable feedback on all of the areas we've just talked about. Friends and family. 
If you have friends or family that might be your ICA, or if they might have access to your ICA, do not be scared to use those connections. There are lots of reasons that we find it really difficult to reach out to friends and family, but it's well, well worth it because your ICA will be in your network somewhere. Reach out on LinkedIn, offer a free chat and be honest about why. So um, somebody that I really admire, who was on the podcast actually, Sarah Swan, um, was telling me that when she got started in business consultancy, she just reached out to um, HR directors and asked them what how they were currently solving their problem and how she could help them going forward. So it wasn't a sales call, it was a genuine research call. How are you currently solving this problem and what would you like to be different about it? Absolutely no selling involved, just a free chat. And off the back of that, they happened to become her client. But that wasn't the intention of the call. It was fact-finding. It was learning the language that they were speaking. It was learning what barriers they were facing and what, how they described the problems in their business at that time. Another one is Zoom calls. So just reaching out to any of those people that I've just mentioned um, via Zoom, making it really easy, getting yourself a Calendly link, Um, which is just a really simple scheduler where you link it up to your Google or your Apple calendar and people can book straight into your diary. So making it really, really easy for people to say, yeah, all right, I'll give you 30 minutes to talk about that. Um, And just being really curious and open to having lots of those calls because it might seem really, really time consuming, but there is nothing more time consuming than developing a product or service that nobody wants Um, launching it and then having to go back to the drawing board because it's not worked. Um, This is part of the 14 simple steps to launching um, that I I think I'll be talking about on the podcast next week. (laughs) Um, But it is all about getting feedback and the value of that feedback is vast because otherwise you might spend loads of money on a marketing campaign that doesn't work or you you know worst case scenario you might spend hours and hours and hours of your very valuable time creating a course or even a set of blog posts that they're just not going to hit the mark because the messaging is not quite right you haven't co-created it with the people that need it so do I can't emphasize it enough. Spend the time, have Zoom calls. When the world opens up again, meet people for coffee. It is well, well worth it. Social media. You can find your people on social media somewhere. It may be that they're in groups on Facebook. It may be that they hang out on LinkedIn. Find where they naturally are so that you can reach out to people directly because you will want to do some of that, but where you can also just be humble, take a back seat, listen to people and see what they're bringing to their peers, what conversations they're starting, what questions they're asking and make sure that what you create is meeting a need that they know they have, not meeting a need that you think that they have. Testing. So I bang on about this a lot in the 14 steps to a simple launch. So I'm not going to go hard line on it now. But as part of your launch strategy for any product, you need to be continuously creating small things and seeing how people respond to them. Because as soon as somebody has done something like listen to your podcast, downloaded a cheat sheet, 
or read your blog post, it's much, much easier to get into a conversation with them. For example, with this podcast, I ask at the end of every episode, I ask people to DM me or email me to give me some feedback about the episode. And people do. Thank you if you're listening to this and you've been one of the people that does, because it really helps me to know, aha, that episode really touched a nerve with people. Or this is a question that people have following on from that episode and I should create some content around that. And if I don't know the answer or if I can't create content on that subject, it tells me that I need to find the people who can. So it couldn't be more useful and it's an absolutely integral part of launching anything is to create small things, let people respond to it and respond to that feedback. And the final way that you can meet your ICA is through surveys, but you'll probably need to use all of the above methods to get your survey out to people. So surveys are really good if you want to contact a lot of people and ask a few quite concrete questions about things. So for example, I'm using a survey at the moment to try and work out whether people in deprived areas um, would want to access online therapy using their smartphone or whether they just wouldn't. Uh, Because I've got a hypothesis about it, um, but I really want to find out what people say themselves. So I'm setting up loads of conversations with people directly, um, but I'm also sending surveys out to GPs and through children's centres to try and access more people than realistically I could access um, on a one-to-one level. Um, Because I'm applying for grant funding, and so I need to have... Um, a, a greater weight of evidence behind me for anything that I suggest, any hypothesis I've got. So surveys can be really great when you need to reach more people, um, but you're gonna they're more time consuming because in order to get anybody to do your survey, you're going to be reaching out, you're going to be having Zoom calls, you're going to be connecting on LinkedIn, finding people on social media, all of that stuff, um, using your friends and family network, all of that anyway. So imposter syndrome. We are a professional group who experience really high levels of imposter syndrome. And by that, I mean we often feel uncomfortable with being seen as experts. We often think we don't know enough to be worth anything to anyone. And we can really struggle with taking centre stage because we constantly feel like we're going to be found out. Now, in my mind, imposter syndrome often includes really high levels of shame. Anyone who works with CFT or compassion focused therapy knows that shame is the emotion that makes us want to hide ourselves from view. It makes us want to be small. It makes us terrified of criticism and the judgment of others. It's really, really painful and it mostly crops up when we're daring greatly. And when we're locked in shame, it's very, very hard to be vulnerable enough to truly engage with others, including our ICAs and the people that we're trying to help. If, however, we can move past our shame and open up our minds to connecting with others, I think that sense that we don't know it all gives us a huge advantage over other professional groups when we need to do marketing. If we can tune into our imposter syndrome and notice our thoughts about it mindfully, and I talk a bit about how to do that in the mindset course in the Do More Than Therapy membership, we can identify when there really is knowledge we don't have and we need to go and get it from the people that do. 
So the most common mistake in marketing is people assuming that they know their ICA and what they want without actually listening to them. Now, our raging imposter syndrome might make it uncomfortable for us to stick our necks on the line and ask for those conversations with people, but it means that when we do, hopefully, we have the humility to actually listen. So the key is to notice imposter syndrome, notice how gross it makes you feel, and commit whenever you feel gross like that to take positive action that drives your mission forward by reaching out. And in the second and third classes of the Mindset course in the membership, I give you some practical strategies on how to do that. So check that out if you're already part of the membership. But here are some questions to ask yourself whenever you feel imposter syndrome to try and encourage you to reach out rather than turning inwards. Who can I connect with who knows one of my ICAs for this project well? Do I know this ICA already? Can I set up a meeting with them? Do I feel stuck because of a barrier that also impacts on my ICA? Can I set up a conversation with them to co-create a way around it? Where can I go, online or in person, to observe and listen to my ICA? And once you're there, write down five key words that they're using to describe their lives or the problem that you're trying to solve. Essentially, we need to move past shame and into curiosity in order to get to know our ICA. I really hope that this episode has been helpful as an introduction to the concept of the ICA and how we can uniquely use it as mental health professionals, not only in our marketing, but to improve our work. It's a topic that I believe includes mindset, marketing, business and creativity, which are the key areas we cover in the Do More Than Therapy membership. So if you'd like more support with getting your business or project off the ground, do come and check out the membership for expert masterclasses, our core mindset course, downloadable resources and an amazingly supportive community of like-minded people. The doors are closed at the moment, but if you go to the link in the show notes, you can find out more and sign up to be the first to know when I open the doors in August for just one day. So that's all for now. As ever, I love your feedback, so please do rate, review and subscribe. And feel free to send me a DM on Instagram at Rosie Gilderthorpe with your comments on the show. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.